Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we're all headed up. This podcast is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com, an online learning platform for fundraising event professionals. We're coming to you today from the studios of the AV department. Please welcome our hosts, Kristen Steele and Samantha Swaim. Welcome to the Fundraising Elevator, where we are all headed up. Today, I am thrilled to have with us Susan Howlett. Susan is someone that has worked with boards and board engagement and is just such an expert in the field about how to empower boards. She is an author. She is a coach. She is a teacher. She is someone who has been a mentor to me, and I am just so honored to have her here. Kristen, why don't we do a formal introduction of Susan before we jump into the conversation? Yeah, I have to fangirl first, uh-huh. actually. we I feel like we have been traveling in circles with Susan for a while, which was a dream come true because we'd been following her work for a long time before that. Um, and I'm just so, so humbled to have um, one of our mentors and one of the giants in the nonprofit education space here with us today. So official bio time, <laughs> Susan Howlett, she, her is a consultant, author, speaker, and facilitator for For 30 years, she led the University of Washington's fundraising certificate program. She served as a board member, development director, and executive direction, and is the author of Boards on Fire, Inspiring Leaders to Raise Money Joyfully, and Getting Funded, The Complete Guide to Writing Grant Proposals. Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here today with us. I want to start us off today with a big question. What is the role of your board of directors at your event? (laughs) So that's a great question. I want to begin by, um, if it's okay with you, by telling us what is not their role. Oh, I like it. That's even better. I love it. Because I see a lot of organizations asking their board members to do the wrong things and then being pissed off when they're not doing it. Yeah. (laughs) So the first one is, I think we shouldn't tell our board members that their job is to raise money. I love that. Because when we tell them that their job is to raise money, they end up burning bridges by, you know, pushing people, like trying to um, get a lot of people there, trying to get a lot of money out of people. And what we really need to be doing is focusing on relationship building to the mission. So I think that we should not tell people that fundraisers are about fundraising. I think we should tell them that they're about identifying who's in our tent and who wants to be allied with us. And money will follow. I love that. You know, it's interesting because I think the first time you say to a board that their job is to raise money, the board is like, "Mm, I don't know that I want to be on this board. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, two episodes ago, we had Lisa Watson on and she is a board member extraordinaire involved with probably six different organizations as a board member. And she was talking a lot about the importance of kind of being brought in as a key stakeholder, being in the conversation, understanding enough about the inner workings of the organization that she can be an ally. So I just wanted to ask sort of what your recommendations are for engaging board members as key stakeholders. How do we set them up for success? That's great. There's one other thing I wanted to say about what their role isn't. Yes, please. That's part of the event. Is that okay? And that is we consistently ask people to fill a table, which means that they're They're scraping the bottom of the barrel trying to get people that they haven't invited already to come to the event. And I think that we should be focusing them on stakeholders who are already connected to the organization, maybe bringing back former board members or former staff, former volunteers, lapsed donors, especially people that we might have lost through the pandemic due to benign neglect. So I think that we should be uh, asking our board members to invite just a handful of carefully curated prospects to our events. Yeah. Um, and maybe 
discern which stakeholders might need attention who haven't been, who have drifted away from us or something like that. I think we should focus on them deepening relationships with people with between people and the mission before we invite them to the event and engaging in radical hospitality before, Ooh. during, and after the event. Oh, that's one of my favorite terms, radical hospitality. Tell me how you, how does that show up for you with a board at an event? Well, there are several ways. One is that I think our board members need to be told that their job is not to consume the event. They're not attendees at the event. They're on duty. And their job <laughs> is to make sure that every single person in that room feels seen and heard and known and valued and attended to. So that's what radical hospitality means, that every single person feels like they've been acknowledged and stewarded through the, the event by a leader. You know, we have a really good example of this that just happened. We're in the midst of gala season, as we talked about when we were first getting tuned in. And we had an organization that previously had had in their event 600 people. It had kind of been a big open to all their donors event. And this year they chose to do this very handheld, thoughtful curation with their board. And each board member hosted a table. They did exactly what you're saying, You like play by play. And that they really sat and talked to each board member about who would be at their table, who was lapsed, who were sort of neglected. And then they asked the board what they could bring to the experience with their guests. And they hit record fundraising numbers. They raised over a million dollars with a much smaller room and mm -hmm. had nothing but positive feedback because guests were seen and felt seen and felt like they had been a part of something, which I know is such a critical element you teach that that connection or belonging, I think, has been a gap in COVID. <laughs> well, and I think, mm -hmm. too, what's interesting is that I know sometimes we, we can um, maybe look at board members in one light. But what I want to do and hold space for is, you know, when they're active and engaged and on board with the mission and wanting to do the work, they are so well-intentioned. Yeah. And we can very easily say to them, we would love for you to bring folks who are invested in this mission. And they can kind of look at you and nod. But I think what you're saying and what I love is let's take that extra step to show them and talk to them about what we mean by radical hospitality, what we mean by you gathering a table of people, you being invested at this event, you yeah. showing up. I think we make assumptions that people right. go, you know what I meant when I said you're going to come to this event and work. Uh -huh. You knew what I, you know, and, and I think um, we can really do ourselves and our board members a real favor and build our relationship with them yeah. in sort of helping them frame, giving them space to be um, questioning, mm -hmm. like, what do you mean by, like, I think if we keep making assumptions that they know what they mean, right. they won't ever come to the table with their questions. And their questions <laughs> may clarify some really key points mm -hmm. that we can connect on and move huge pieces forward. I mean, they are they are volunteers and yeah. they are giving time and in many cases resource of a variety. And I think we just have to continue to state what we mean. And yeah. I think sometimes that gap is where that stuff happens, where you're like, I told the board they had to show up and work this event. But what, <laughs> quote unquote, working the event looks like to me and what it mm -hmm. looks like to them, there may be a very large chasm between us. And right. so I think if we can... <laughs> 
all work together and understand what it is that we're all aiming for and get on the same page, I think we have a much better opportunity to hit those targets and those metrics or whatever that is. But I think when we get mad, they didn't do it the way I wanted them to. It's like, well, did you tell them? No. Well, I assume they understood. It's like, right. oh, geez, we're missing an opportunity for your board member to be seen, to be mm-hmm. known, to yes. participate in exactly that same way. So yes. I think if we want them to activate stakeholders and donors in that way, we have to activate them in that way. And they have to feel that and have that modeled for them so that they know how to go out and and sort of create those ripples in the in the event and in your world of philanthropy as well. Well, and Kristen, I really, I'm glad you said that because, in fact, you said 10 things that I want to <laughs> One of them is um, that we need to see each one of them as an individual because I see what I call a y'all come approach. We go to a board, mem- board meeting and we tell everybody they're supposed to do the same thing. You all need to fill a table of 10. You all need to do blah, blah, blah. And I think that we need to show them that we see them as un- unique individuals. Yes. Each of them has a particular relationship to the, to, to the mission each of whom has different skill sets. Like my husband would be a good photographer because he's really shy. So he can hide behind a camera all night and take good pictures. I am an extrovert. I want to be out in the room working, you know, talking to people, listening to people. So we need to find out what makes their heart sing and make sure that that's what they've been assigned to do. Because if you make people do things they're uncomfortable with, they're going to screw up and they're going to not like it and it won't have good results. Well, and they won't keep coming back to the table. Like when their heart (laughs) sings it, an event when they know what the what they're there to do, they feel capable and supported in doing it and feel successful that they've done it, that demystifies the whole process for them. And they can continue showing up for you and your mission in that way when it's not an event. Yeah. Right. Which is and that, when we key. show them what it feels like to be seen, then they know how to treat other yes. people in the yes. same way. Exactly. I also wanted to talk about when you were essentially saying that it's better to have a smaller curated audience than a great big one. I think we all want a big ballroom full of people when yeah. it's, it might be way better to have fewer people who really get it. And I'd love to give you two examples. If yeah. I can. yeah, please. I happen to row crew in the morning. I row um, <laughs> on a team with my husband and I am on fire about raising money for an organization that puts low income kids and kids of color on the water because it transforms them. So when I work with the um, event that raises money for that group, I say, let's not have anyone but rowers or parents of rowers in the room. And everybody always wants to say, no, 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 let's bring non-rowers in. But I want that room to be full of people who have been on glassy flat water at daybreak, had the sun come up over Mount Rainier, um, have herons and eagles and seas, seals in front of them and be rowing in an orgasmically unified way with yes. a bunch of other people. So I want the room full of people like that. Another time I was working with an organization called Court Appointed Special Advocates, which has oh, kind yeah, of a complicated mission. And I wanted them to fill the room with nothing but court appointed special advocates, people <laughs> who were doing that or had done it. And they said, that's no, 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 we need more people. I'm say, I said, if you have people who totally get it, who have immersed themselves in this organization, yes. you will raise way more money because you won't have to stop and explain everything and start from scratch with people. And it took them four or five years of me saying that to actually do it. And they called me up and they said, we raised three <laughs> times as much money as we did before. <laughs> So well, and it's, it's e- I don't want to say it's easier, but it's easier. Yeah. You know, when 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 you're looking at the mountain you have to climb to get 
you know, from here to your fundraising goal, you're already partway up the mountain when people already live and breathe your mission and understand the experience. When you have to start from zero with people, you know, we call them butts and seats. You're paying for those butts and seats. Like those, those folks cost you money. And so if you can fill those seats with people who are already a quarter of the way there, a third of the way there, you're, you're not doing as much work to move the needle. Yeah, and I'm really glad you brought that up, too, because one of the other things I see happen is when board members are told to fill a table and they just bring their friends who may have no emotional connection to the mission, then when that board member rolls off the board, we lose the donor, too. Yeah, because they weren't weren't good prospects in the first place. Yes, exactly. So how do we help our donor feel or our board member feel like they are part of this organization, like that they're not just there for a once a month meeting, which is funny. I think we laugh about that idea of like being a board member as a once a month meeting. So how do we help them feel a part of it, feel connected to it, feel invested in it? What is the sort of onboarding or kind of engaging part of the work to help a board member really show up as their best resource for the organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So can I tell you a couple of stories to answer that question? Of course. So one time I was working with an organization that helped kids who had recently been either sexually or physically abused. And the, they wanted me to bring in, or they wanted um, to bring in staff people to a board retreat to tell people about the programs. And I said, just shoot me now. I can't <laughs> yeah. imagine way to do that. And they said, well, what are we going to, how are we going to help the board understand our programs? And I said, let's have them physically experience what it means to be one of those kids. So we brought the board members in and walked them through the process of what a kid goes through when they come in there. Mm. The first room that they went to was a room where law enforcement interviewed the kid about what had happened. And so we were standing behind one of those two-way mirrors and one of the board members pretended they were the kid and got interviewed by a police person. Oh, wow. The second room was a room where the kids got physically examined. And so we had one of the board members get up on the gurney and he looked up at the ceiling and he saw all these things that were stuck to the ceiling. They're little like sticky toys that you can throw and they stick. And he said, what are all those things on the ceiling? And the staff person said, well, we give those to every child who comes in here for an exam. And we tell them that all the other, they get to throw one up too. And all the other ones were thrown up there by kids who'd been through what they just went through. Oh, wow. Are you Uh, going to remember that? Yeah. 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 Board members remember that after physically being there. The next room was the room where they met with the prosecutor to find out what was going to happen with their case and so on. But after that, the board members were like, got it. Yeah. Uh Yeah, absolutely. And then they wanted to do that with their donor prospects, too. So a couple of other stories. I work with a lot of symphonies all over the country. Yes. We're having the board members come in and sit in the middle of the orchestra during rehearsal so they can feel what Mm. it feels like to be completely surrounded by the music, an experience that most people don't get. I also work with a lot of um, uh, research hospitals all over the country, and we're having board members come in for a lab crawl. We give them uh, a white lab coat and a glass of wine, and we let them hang out with the scientists and look at their beakers and their (laughs) microscopes and so on. And talk to them. I call these water cooler experiences. Like people are going to go to work the next day and tell yeah. people oh, what they did. Yes. I also work with a lot of museums and we'll have the board members um, meet with a curator and see some archived things that are in the archives that aren't out on display. Like one time I was working with a group where we brought a bunch of undiscernible things out from the archives <laughs> and the curator put them in the middle of the table and said to the board members, tell the other people at your table, discuss this. What do you think this is or was? 
And people just lit up coming up with all kinds of ideas about what that could yeah. have been. And so when the board members left that meeting, they were like, this museum's cool, really cool stuff. <laughs> and they wanted to go tell other people about it. So um, I like to engage board members in, say, citizen science, where they're asked to go out on the land that your land trust is trying to preserve mm-hmm. and do like take measurements of something or um, maybe have everybody watch a TED Talk together and then talk about how that TED Talk relates to your mission. Um, there's several that I can think of, yeah. but I'm sure you've seen a TED Talk that's about your mission. One of my clients did a blind simulation because they serve people oh. who are blind, but no one on the board was blind. And so they pretended for half a day what it was like to be blind. We took them through a sensory garden where they got to use their noses for stuff, which was cool. And another client of mine actually did a... Um, poverty simulation with the board because they worked mm-hmm. with low-income people. And the board members had such a good time doing it one day, they decided to do it for a week and then a month. And by the end of that month, they were so lit up yeah. about what it meant to be in poverty that they could hardly wait to introduce their donor prospects to the concept. So that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Those Insert the board in the mission so they feel it. Yes. And then they'll invite other people to do that too. I'm also having a small epiphany. Yeah. That this exercise could also perhaps impact slash break down that that wall that sometimes exists between development and program stuff. Yes. You know, that, that I think that I think what you're speaking to is, you know, when program staff are looking at development saying you don't get it. And you're, you know, <laughs> right. you're writing all these stories and newsletters and going out and doing all these things and you're just it, you're not getting it and they get very protective right Right. of Mm -hmm. clients and work and what that is that that I do wonder if that experience of mission yeah and them being in the mission together could create Mm -hmm. collaboration around storytelling and philanthropy in a really different way well I could see all of those things I mean they're really immersive experiences that I could see all of those things breaking down barriers between the board and the team, breaking down barriers between development staff and program staff, but also an opportunity to bring donors in and and do similar things. Um, Susan, I don't know if you know Tammy Zonker. She is a consultant. Yeah, she's incredible, does incredible work. And one of the things I love about her work is she does storytelling tours where she brings people into location when, like you said, like a land trust, she brings people onto the land. And as a development professional, she fills her calendar with two or three uh, tours every Thursday. She like has spots and the board helps to fill those um, sort of here's key people that need to come in and know about this. And then she'll take them out on the land or she'll take them through the learning center and give them that same experiential level. I think of all of the boards that I've served on where I've just had people talking at me for hours <laughs> in these big general terms, like we need all of you too. And it's just yeah. like numbing because you don't know, is that my responsibility? <laughs> Do I need to fill all of the tables at the event? That I appreciate this idea of both seeing each individual board member and that what they bring to the table and then immersing them so that they have their own personal experience to share in the work. I think that moves the needle so much further. And what if it was flipped? What if you immerse them in the work? What if you got them on board with the mission in a really, really different way? And then you had your one-on-one with them prior <laughs> to the event and said, what do you want to do? Yeah. How do you want to help? What does that lean in look like? They may come to the table with things you haven't even thought of yet, inspired by their 
sort of new set of lenses on the mission and how they can participate, that that could be a really interesting sequence of pieces. So Kristen, I have a really good story about that. Can I take a second? Please do, yes. I was working with a board that was on, they were the board of a mental health hospital. And um, the board was really reluctant to bring donors in because it was about mental health. Yeah. And they realized that there was one woman on the board whose son had been deeply served by the hospital. And she said, I'll take any one of you on a tour and show you all the things that I learned by having my son there. That's powerful. And she said, I could do a tour a week. I love this place. I know all the doctors and I know all the programs and I'll, I'll take everybody on a tour once a week. And they never asked her to do that before. And she was so on fire to take you to the that she never stopped. So, and it That's got all the other people more comfortable talking about mental health issues, which was really great. And then she becomes a peer resource for them, right? Right. Other mm-hmm. fellow board members to sort of answer questions that maybe they do. It's, That's awesome. I love that. I love it. All That's right. Awesome. So we, we touched on some of these things about the event, but let's dive a little bit yeah. more about how the board can show up. So what would you want the board to do and these are big frames, sort of before, during, and after the event. What a delicious question. <laughs> so I think that the before part is about being really strategic about who's going to be invited. Like we said, curating yeah. it so you've got fewer people who are the right people. And then making sure that those people have had, that you've given them time to cultivate some folks ahead of time and have some of these immersive experiences or whatever and invite people to a focus group or something um, or ask their opinion about other media or other events they've gone to that sucked or whatever <laughs> <laughs> you could do with people to cultivate them before the event. So that's the first thing, being really strategic about who's coming and then making sure those people get teed up before the event. During, I think we the board members need to spend their time helping everyone in the room feel seen and heard and yes. known and valued and attended to. And then afterwards, I think they need to. We need to make sure that they know how to write kick-ass thank you notes, whether yeah. they gave or not, immediately afterwards, and then download whatever they learned about people by talking to them to the development staff, so that gets in the records. Because if someone pours out their heart to you, and the and the organization doesn't remember that. Yeah. Months later, that's a slap in the face. Yeah, that's like telling a first date something really vulnerable, and then they never bring it up again. That's like, wait, I, you know, I made myself really open to you. So we need to be able to capture stuff uh, that donors told us at the event. Like somebody might be really nervous that their daughter's going away to college this this next month, or somebody just bought a new car and they're really excited about it. Just reflect those things back in a note right after the event, saying, "I saw you." In fact, one of my clients is a land trust and they have a house party once a month to invite different people in to hear about the organization. And they only have a handful of people at each house party. And then when the guests have left, the board members and staff, people who attended that event, sit down and go over every Mm -hmm. single guest and say, who answered who asked leadership questions or kind of lean in kind of questions, who looked like they didn't care. Um, And they came up with a follow up plan for every single guest the next day, like, I think that the stewardship director should take a map of the property over to see John tomorrow at two o'clock. Let's, why don't you call him in the morning and say you're dropping by that map. So every single person had a follow-up action. Wow, that's Imagine. great. Imagine, because a lot of times we feel like once the event is over, we're done. Yes. But that's the beginning of a person's relationship yes. with the organization. Yeah, we're all dead once the event happens and we just kind of go, <laughs> great, let's do this again next year. That's and it's only, the event is sort of just 
mid to even the beginning of the continuum, right? Yeah, That's, it's, an, it's an entry point, but it's what you do. Don't ghost your donors, right? you know, and it's what you do with what you learn from the mm-hmm. event that makes the impact later on. I've been at events with board members who understood how to really act as an ambassador for the organization. And one of my favorite stories, I think I've actually talked about it on the podcast before, is walking into an event where I didn't know a lot of people, but the board member knew me and came over to me, introduced, said hello, made me feel like I was expected, that they were happy that I was there. And then spent about 10 minutes introducing me to a couple of folks and then Uh left me in conversation, like did a nice little sort of first date introduction (laughs) of like, you know, you're both in fundraising and do you know you're both from the Midwest and like did a quick introduction and then left. And that then allowed us to have a conversation. And then that board member circled back around and kind of brought me into another conversation. And I left that event so pumped. And at the time I couldn't like put my finger on why. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, cause I felt seen, Mm -hmm. I felt appreciated. So that idea of like, you are working this event is you are acknowledging people, hosting people that radical hospitality is Mm -hmm. powerful. It's really powerful. Well, we are going to take just a short break so that we can hear from a couple of our supporters and then we will be back to learn more from Susan Hallett. Love it. The Fundraising Elevator is recorded at the AV Department in Portland, Oregon. For years, they've been our trusted partner, delivering exceptional audiovisual production and videography for nonprofits. In 2020, they transformed into a dynamic live streaming studio, producing more than 900 virtual and hybrid events. Now, we embark on an exciting journey together to bring you this podcast. Seeking the best in live events, video production, and live streaming? We proudly recommend our friends at the AV department. Link in the episode description. Events have a unique power to create an immersive experience for your donors and your mission. That's why we created the Elevate Conference to teach you the tools for planning a successful fundraising event. Join us for Elevate 2024 on February 1st and 2nd. This hybrid fundraising conference will be hosted at Avenue in Portland, Oregon and broadcast online for a virtual audience. You'll get practical tools, demos, and templates you can implement right now. Join us. The Elevate Conference is a production of ElevateNonprofit.com and is presented by Swaim Strategies and the AV Department. To find out more and register, visit ElevateNonprofit.com today. Well, welcome back. We are here talking about board engagement and specifically board engagement in relationship to our events. So Susan, we talked a little bit about that idea before the break of the board really connecting to people, working the room. How do you help coach a board member to feel like they can really show up and do that well? I love that you use the word coach because I think a lot of times we just tell people you're supposed to go to this event and work the room and they don't know what what does that mean? And so there are a couple of things that I think we need to practice because we don't use these muscles very often and we're not good at them. The first one is asking open-ended questions of other people and shutting up while they answer them. Our, our, Our organizations are really good at 
fire hosing people with information yeah. <laughs> about us, but we're not very good at asking questions and being still. So I think we need to spend time at board meetings, maybe several in a row before an event, and spend just five minutes practicing what open-ended questions could you be asking people at our events so that they feel like they had a chance to tell their own story about their relationship to the mission or why they're there or whatever. So asking open-ended questions, like, it, for example, I'll say to people, imagine that you're talking to somebody who was on the board years ago. What kinds of questions could you ask them? Right. And people come up with things like, well, how did you get on the board in the first place? Everyone remembers that. Um, what were the biggest struggles that you faced when you were on the board? What were your biggest accomplishments when you were on the board? Oh. What did you learn? What did you get out of it? You know, who did you meet while you were on the board? Blah, blah, blah. Why were you proud? But those kinds of questions, we don't know how to ask those. And so I think we need to take time practicing them um, before we go to board meetings or to uh, our events. Those are juicy questions. Those are really juicy questions. Like there's a lot that could be rewarding to the board member to get yes. those answers, right? <laughs> to hear that maybe their struggles were so much harder when the organization was first starting or to hear that they had some accomplishments that they could take and move forward with. I mean, those are good, juicy questions. Yeah. Okay, I cut you off. Sorry. The other things? Right. Another thing that we're not good at is telling stories of impact on mm. end users rather than talking about activities and programs. <laughs> Most board members have been told to like memorize a, an elevator pitch, which <laughs> no one wants to listen to, right? right? And I've never seen a board member use one ever after all the practice. So I think that we need to um, figure out how to, how to tell a story of impact on someone who's been served by the organization or been affected by it somehow. Um, and I, we're not very good at that. So mm -hmm. I think that we need to practice those stories. And uh, one thing that I heard Kristen say on another podcast was that it has to be a story of one. So a lot of times our organizations want to tell how we serve many people. Yeah, right. We know from brain research that that doesn't stick in our brains. What we need to hear is a story of one being served, whether that's one tree or one animal or one forest or what, whatever, you know, one right. orca or something. Um but we need to practice telling those stories. And a lot of times people, if you tell them you have to tell your story in 30 seconds, they don't know what 30 seconds is and they'll take five minutes, which no one wants to listen to. So I really think we need to practice with board members. How do we tell a story of impact in 30 seconds? I also and wonder, thing is, sorry, well, I'm also wondering on that, back to the point we were talking about earlier, what happens when you've taken your board member inside the mission Right. And then they can actually tell a story of impact that they've witnessed and or participated yeah, in. Yeah, their experience. And then mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not an elevator pitch they're trying to right. memorize. Did I get that name right? Was the name of the program right? It's like, none of that matters. Like, if it had resonance for you and you can actually speak to me, like, I saw this thing that changed my mind about how this organization does work. Let me tell you. All of a sudden, mm -hmm. we're having a different conversation. Exactly. It's just like your introduction of me and nobody remembers what you said except that you were a fangirl. Yeah, and of course. It's the same kind of thing, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, other stuff is Charlie Brown adults talking, Yes, right? yes, uh -huh. exactly. Well, so what other ways other would you coach folks? Oh, sorry. Yeah, no. what other ways would you coach folks? I'm sorry, we cut you off. No, that's good. Um, I think we need to show people how to be on the lookout for people who are standing alone or feeling mm -hmm. awkward or um, who need to be rescued yeah. <laughs> because... I see this happening at my uh, coffee hour at my church all the time because the particular um, denomination that I belong to attracts 
introverts. And so coffee hour <laughs> is kind of a sucky place, <laughs> except for the three of us who are extroverts in the whole congregation. So we need to make sure that we're watching out to see who's standing alone, who might need attention, who might need guiding from one place to another. In fact, um, I think you talked in, in another podcast, Kristen, about a journey that we need to take people on. And I remember hearing one woman say, when I come through the doors, I want you to almost hold my hand mm -hmm. and show me where is registration? Where are the bathrooms? Where is the drink? Introduce me to someone who might be like me. Show me what's going to happen next. Yeah. That's what she called radical hospitality. And so we need to make sure that our board members are on high alert to make sure that everyone's having a good time. And we don't we don't usually do that. Yeah, it's interesting because I frequently am kind of the like, as an event planner, I'm kind of like in the shadow of the room, kind of mm -hmm. checking on the AV and checking on our speakers. And occasionally I find that lingering in that shadow is also a guest as I'm like <laughs> trying to slip behind the scenes. There's like a guest that's almost tucked into a corner. And that is the moment that I pause and I'm like, ooh, development team or board member, let's go and rescue this person. Because I do think that oftentimes it's hard to figure out how to engage if you don't know the room and you mm -hmm. don't have that connection already. And so that's really powerful. We had in um, the event that had that really curated audience, we had a donor coming that I knew was a really generous donor in this sector and had historically been a big donor to a lot of organizations, but it was their first introduction to this organization. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they they were in the corner and we I had a moment where I looked at a board member and I looked at a staff member and I was like, hey, I want to introduce you, brought them over. And by the end of the night, that table the that they were sitting at had a group of 30 people around it, chit-chatting and socializing. They were hugging people as they left. They made a second contribution. They like raised their paddle and then on the way out the door made another contribution. So I think that's really powerful. It's a really important reminder that like the person who may be uncomfortably standing on the fringe just needs to be invited in. Yes. Well, and, and I'm wondering too, Susan, sort of how you would direct, and I, I will own this personally, I'm the introvert. <laughs> I hate working a room. I hate it. Um, and so if I'm a board member and that's where I sit and yet I'm really, really committed to and passionate about a mission, how how can I engage? What does my engagement look like? Because I do think there is a there is a, a place where you get people so out over their skis that they just sort of collapse and aren't doing anything well because they can't, I can't get over, you are asking me to right. talk to these people, right? So like, how can I contribute? How would you coach me through that to be able to participate and support the event? Yeah. Again, I think it's about giving people really clear instructions so that they know exactly what they're assigned to do. So let me give you a couple of examples. Great. I was working with a Boys and Girls Club one time who had this fabulous auction every year, but it was so successful that people ended up in a long line checking in because they had to swipe their credit cards before they could mm -hmm. go in. Mm -hmm. And people were getting kind of cranky about how long that line was every year. So we had the board members grab a glass of champagne, walk over to whoever was in the line and start engaging those people in conversation while they were waiting to check yeah. in. And the board members had all been given, um, trained in how to ask open-ended questions of these people so that when they arrived with their glass of champagne, they knew what to say. And they knew that other board members weren't going to ask the same question. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, it just made everybody feel good because 
the donors felt seen and the board members felt like you gave me a job that I could do and then check off and feel successful. Yep. Yep. So um, that was one example. Another one was one of my students at the university got a new job and his very first assignment was to put on a donor appreciation event that they did every year. And so we went to the board and he said, okay, I need you guys to all show up and work the room. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They tell us that every year. We don't know what that means. <laughs> and so Jeff said, okay, I'm going to make this really easy for you because I know probably who's going to be coming. I will get, assign each of you three people that you're supposed to be on the lookout for. I will send you a photo of them that I'm going to pull down from LinkedIn or Facebook yeah. or something. So you'll yeah. know who to look for. I will put their names on the back of your name tag so if you forget who they are you just turn your name tag over and they'll be right there and i'll send you a little teeny bio about them nothing about money it just says have they ever been on the board did they have a kid in the program blah 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 your job is to go find those three people over the course of two hours and have a conversation with them long enough that you can write them a note at the end of the evening mentioning something they said oh brilliant and the board member said that's it. That's all you need us to do. Mm. And he said, yeah, that's kick-ass fundraising. Yeah, it is. So they felt really empowered because it, it was, the instructions were so explicit that they couldn't fail. Yeah. I'm hearing that success isn't quantity. Right. <laughs> right. I'm hearing that success is authentic. Relationship. Specific and relationship-based. And that, you know, if, if we can hone in and target those, whether... I'm in that room talking to 50 people in a really half-assed way, mm -hmm. or I'm talking to five in a very specific curated way, that mm -hmm. impact is going to go much further. Mm -hmm. And even though I think we want some of our board members to do that kind of thing at big events too, you just have to tailor it to the event so that it fits. Yeah. It's, in a, it's interesting to think about too, the idea of, the personal experience being something that can create that group connection. Mm -hmm. The the story that you told of walking the land and measuring or, you know, sticky ceiling, like thinking about the toys in the ceiling, that is something that will be so much more authentic in the conversation with the donor. And the board member will feel like it's easy because it's something they experienced. It's not reciting. And I love that scene in Devil Wears Prada where she's prepped with the lookbook of who's going to be at the event mm -hmm. and all the photos and who's going to be there. And they walk behind her and whisper who's coming up to her. I love the idea of making it that simple for a board member, because I know as a board member, I'm also thinking about who are the people that I know in the room and who, you know, how do I make sure that my guests are taken care of, that thinking about them as a part of the equation and that to me is a good example of just like a board really being able to show up. Well, and and let's let's call out the elephant in the room. That is only possible when your development staff has their arms around those relationships is, mm. you know, curating data yeah. and stories in so that they can have those conversations. Like we want mm. you talking to these three folks. Yeah. These are some details about them. This is our relationship to them. Like it all comes back to data at some point that, mm -hmm. you know, when you know a donor, you can have someone else know your donor. Yeah. But if you don't know your donor, it's all just sort of an expedition into I don't know where, you know? Well, you're making me think of many organizations I've worked with who said we have sucky data. <laughs> yes. 
We don't know. We can't tell our board members anything about these people because we don't know. In which case, the board member's job is to discover it yeah, by yeah. saying to the donor, it looks like you've been part of our organization for 10 years and we don't have that much information on you. I'd love for you to fill me in. How did you get here? What makes you want to give to us? And so yeah. on. Um, and so it's okay to not know. Just find it out. Yeah. <laughs> I think that que- that simple question, what's your connection to this work yeah. or what's your interest in this mission is just such a powerful way because every donor has a personal story to yep. share. I love it. Well, let's take a minute yeah. for a little break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, the donor experience, some stories that you've had to share over the years about how board members and donors can really connect to missions. So we'll be right back. Perfect. Loving the fundraising elevator, but wondering how you can talk to Sam and Kristen? Well, now's your chance to do it. Book one-on-one consulting time with Swain Strategies experts, Sam, Kristen, and Mary, and get all your event questions answered. Our team has you covered on strategic planning, fundraising strategy, storytelling, data tools, and registration support. Get the tools and the help you need to make the most impact at your fundraising event. Book at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. in bringing people together. Our online learning platform for fundraising events has webinars, workshops, downloadable tools, and more designed to save you time and stress when planning your next event. We're getting nonprofit, development, and event planning professionals the tools and ideas they need to create events that inspire donors and raise more money. So join us at elevatenonprofit.com. The link is also in our show notes. We are back here at the Fundraising Elevator with the one, the only, Susan Hallett. Um, I wanted to, we were talking before the break about um, sort of board members and sucky data and what do we do (laughs) if we don't have data on donors and how do they sort of talk to folks. And and it made me think of, we've been talking about how um, new development folks to an organization, them being new is actually a superpower. Them being new gives them a reason to talk to people. Yeah. Hey, I'm new. I haven't met you before. You know, it's we're always looking for that reason. How do we reach out and connect with people and not ask them for money immediately, right? So I'm thinking with new board members, that can be a superpower as yeah. well at an event where they're engaging with donors and especially with donors who have some longevity with an organization. Them being new allows them to absorb that history in a different way, to hear. It may also be permission for that donor to be like, hey, nobody's talked to me in six months, right? Right. And then that's information that your board member can bring back to the programs or to the development staff to really Mm -hmm. be like, oh, let's put them in the top of the file and make sure somebody gets their number, talks to them, brings them in, whatever that is. So I was just having that parallel idea of, of a new board member instead of that being a quiet training period where they sit back and don't right. do anything, that that actually could be a moment where they shine in a different way and that newness gives them an invite in to talk to people in a very different way. Yeah, I love it. Well, okay, speaking about new board members, yes, Susan, you alluded earlier to the experience of onboarding board members by giving them something that's really a visceral way to connect to the mission. And 
Um, you and I were at a conference together once and at that conference. Just once. Just once, many <laughs> times. But in, in that conference, you were talking about um, ways that the donor can feel the mission. Yeah. And you told a story that just has stuck with me so much because you talked about that symphony connection, which you you alluded to a little bit earlier of centering someone in the experience of the symphony. Can you talk a little bit about how that experience is felt, seen, heard by a donor and what your sort of your work with symphonies has resulted with donor cultivation out of that? Mm -hmm. So there was a time when one of my clients invited um, the board to invite donors to sit only one at a time in the middle of the orchestra during rehearsal. And I remember telling a colleague of mine about that and he said, oh, that's such a great idea. He said, they'll be able to smell the rosin dust. And I said, What's rosin dust? Uh -huh. And he said that when strings get ready to play, they put, they put some rosin on the bow. And then when the bow gets pulled across the strings, these tiny little particulate um, particles up, go up into the air. And the only place you smell that particular smell is when you're sitting in the middle <laughs> of the orchestra. And so when you have people have that kind of experience, that, that you know, they'll never forget it. Yeah, that idea. I had another symphony. Oh, go ahead. Well, that idea that you can literally attach senses to it, that you can hear it, that you can feel it, that you can taste it, that you can smell it. Like those are really powerful. And it's always stuck with me that it's such a simple way to help your donor have a long lasting impact of mission. Well, in neuroscience, y'all, right. when you start activating <laughs> different senses, right, different parts of the brain light up and what we connect to memory and all those things, you're yeah. actually creating a longevity of experience and a depth of experience by having it exposed in, to different senses that your donor walks away with more than just being able to recite mm -hmm. a story. It's a very different so I work with a lot of uh, children's museums and I always insist that there be Play-Doh um, uh -huh. wherever we meet. And everybody picks it up and goes, oh, this smell yeah. from Play-Doh. Yeah. Very yeah. And the same thing with colored markers, the smelly markers. <laughs> People really I'm envisioning those. all the donors like <laughs> sniffing at yeah. a table. And then they get colors on their <laughs> nose. Yes. That's, that's so good. I love it. Well, um, what other sort of stories like that stick out to you over the years of donors really being connected viscerally through an experience or through an in sort of immersive connection to mission? How, uh -huh. how can development teams and boards really help donors to feel that connection? Yeah. So I'm going to tell one that was with a board, but you can do it with donors too. Uh -huh. I was working with a youth symphony in San Antonio at one point and the music director wanted to take some of the time at the retreat I was leading to open, to show people what the next season was going to be like. And I resented it because he was eating up too much of my time. <laughs> but when I finally saw what he was going to do, I was like, oh my God, was that worthwhile? So he brought in taped snippets of each of the pieces that he was going to have this youth symphony perform the next year. And he teed it up and said, this is the piece, this is the composer, this is why I want the kids to get something out of it. Now I'm gonna play 30 second piece of this and I want you all to close your eyes and tell me what words you want me to use when I describe it in the oh, program notes next uh, fall. And I looked so around good. the room and the board members were like, scratched up their eyes. 
posed to go and they were really paying attention and they were writing with their eyes closed. And when they got done with each segment, you know, he would say, so what words? And everybody's like, call on me, teacher, use mm-hmm. my words. Use mm-hmm. my words. Mm-hmm. And it was so amazing to see how engaged they were in something that they had never anticipated when they came to that meeting. But imagine we talked about ownership and the importance of building a sense of ownership of the organization yes. of the event. Yeah. Imagine the sense of ownership those board members felt when they saw their words used by the conductor in the program notes. So it's like they're going to open it up and show all their friends and go, look, uh-huh. you quoted So good. I said that so word. I love That's amazing. Uh-huh. Brilliant. And then another time when we really got the audience in- involved, um, well, a couple of stories. One is I told you earlier that I row and that we do this breakfast once a year where we invite all the rowers in town to um, raise money for these kids. And um, every year I would go to the event and I would be a little disappointed because I knew that every single person in that room had a story about their own connection with rowing Mm -hmm. and no one was asking them. And so finally I got on the committee and I said, you guys, we have to ask people (laughs) why they're here. So we created a segment in the event where we said, turn to the person next to you and tell them a moment when you were transformed by rowing or you saw your child transformed by rowing. And the room got so loud that you couldn't hear because people were just like, I want to tell my yeah. story. Yeah. And they were just, they wouldn't shut up. When the, the MC came back and tried to break up that conversation, they couldn't break <laughs> it up. People were so lit up telling their stories of transformation. So I think that we need to create opportunities for that in every event. Yes. And just um, you'll have to coordinate it well, you know, and control it well, so it doesn't get out of hand. But um, I think people are dying to tell about their own connection to the mission. Sometimes, however, they don't have one. We're bringing people in who are new to the issue and they don't have one. And so can I tell a story about one time when that was the case? Yes, Yes. please. So um, the organization was one that encourages people to leave their organs upon their death. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys in Oregon have this, but in Washington, we have on the back of our yeah. license plate, we have a little thing that says, if I die, take my organs. And the board members were having a hard time talking about the mission to their friends. Um, and it, it just felt like we don't want to talk about dying. Yeah. But so one of the things we decided to do at the event was have a woman who was waiting for an organ Mm. be the speaker she was going to be the one asking for money and we'd had her all scripted she was so excited about the speaking engagement well what happened was that nobody gave that organ in time and Mm. she died before the event Mm. right like a week or two before the event so what we did was ask everybody at the event we told them the story and we said what are you looking forward to in the next few months or year a trip a graduation a move a new job or whatever that you might miss out on if you were waiting for an organ and no one donated it. Wow, that's and powerful. suddenly the room just went completely silent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We asked everybody to write down something they were looking forward to and hang it on the centerpiece. We'd created centerpieces Oof. that would accommodate things being hung on there. And at that moment, when everybody was done hanging them up, that's when we asked for money. Yeah. Talk about the feeling in the mission. Oh my God. <laughs> People still talk about that today and it's been years. So now I have That's to amazing. ask you, as a rower, what is your story? Why why are you transformed? What's your moment that you've been transformed as a rower? <laughs> well, there are many. But I think the most important thing was that I grew up 
before Title IX. So I, yeah. there were no sports for women. Yeah. And I was never an athlete. I never was in touch with my body as a dancer or a skater or anything. Um, and when I finally started to row in my 60s, I suddenly figured out that I had a body. Oh, wow. And it was unbelievable for me. To, it was, I was, I hated not being good at something at that stage in my life when I already felt like I was on top of my game and I was so bad at rowing, but it made me feel like I now was a whole person who could use all of my body, my, my whole body, my spirit, my psychology, everything, my emotions when I was in the boat with other people. And that was transformative. Oh, that sounds transformative. So it's dawning on me, Susan, how powerful that could be. That simple Sam asking you that question for board members to do with each other. Yeah. Because I think often we're on boards or board service becomes this thing. And and there are, right? In corporate culture and functions, there's board service and assigned board service and expectation, whatever all that is. But I want to sort of speak to there's a huge swath of board members, actual volunteers, actual volunteers, you know, just so passionate about a mission. And yet we show up to these monthly Zoom right. meetings and I don't know your passion, right? I don't know why you're sitting with me at this table. I also don't know why the staff do what they do. Yeah. In the same ways I'm talking to donors about why are you passionate about this organization, what could happen as a board in creating that collective energy, that collective belonging, that collective power, right. if we understood each other's stories of coming mm -hmm. to the mission and what can that inspire in me? You know, mm -hmm. we, we had a board we were working with who did that work. They read the golden circle, <laughs> excuse me, the golden circle of why with Simon Sinek. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. they, they were an education organization, so they took it on like a book report. They all, <laughs> they read it like a book club yeah. and then they uh -huh. all wrote a little book report on it. Love it. And they integrated the question of why into every single board meeting. Mm -hmm. And it started first with a group share. Everyone shared. Then it became, does anyone have a story to share? Because yeah. people's why can evolve and totally. you can have an experience mm -hmm. that week with the organization that's worth sharing. And they gave them so much fodder, like stories to share, information that just connected them deeper to mission. And that year, they reported to us that in a single year of fundraising and a, a school year, so nine months of fundraising, yeah. that their board had increased their fundraising 300%. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the only change that they made. It, they, it gave them talking points and connection and story. It was well, powerful. But not only that, like when I show up every month to my Zoom meeting, you reinvigorate me in the mission before you give me a to-do list or a voting on this thing right. or what are we going to do about this thing, right? Like when you start with embedding me in the heartbeat, yeah, I, I go better in the direction <laughs> of the heartbeat, right? Like you, you want me out of my head. You want me leading with my heart. You want me in that part of my brain that yeah. says yes before I think about all these other sort of juggernaut pieces, right? right. I think I think as a collective, it's it, what if we do the special appeal story all the time, right? right. Like all that oxytocin and all the all, like all that juicy stuff. You have people operating from a different place, yeah, which can be really powerful. So, Susan. Um, we ask everybody on the podcast to come with us on the fundraising elevator. And first we go up to the penthouse, which is where mm -hmm. the party is. And I'm wondering if you can tell us about a great event you've been to 
fundraising or not, doesn't matter, but a great event you've been to and what you think made it great. Hmm. I was going to tell the organ donor story there. <laughs> Which is great. <laughs> that might actually be so in the land of fabulous. Really quickly about, um, this is not exactly answering your question, but kind of, my husband and I were in charge of a capital campaign at our church to raise $17 million. And one of the things that we did was make sure that we had listening circles where every mm -hmm. single person mm -hmm. in the congregation got invited to someone's living room where there was no meal. There was just finger food that the guests brought. And everyone was asked three questions. The first one was, what's your origin story with this place? How did you get here? Mm -hmm. The second one was, Tell us how you or someone else you know have been transformed by this place. Mm -hmm. And the third one was, what is your dream for the future of this place? And we just let people answer those questions. It wasn't a conversation. It was just listening one-on-one -on -one to each person mm -hmm. answer. And by the end of that time, we had people in tears saying, I can't remember the last time I felt so listened mm -hmm. to. And so I think that that's one of the things that board members can be invited to participate in is just active listening with the people that they're inviting to the event, people who are at the event, after the event, just listening to people because everyone's longing to be heard yeah. and we're not offering them enough opportunities to feel heard. Yeah. So if we can weave that into our events sometime, I think that would be ideal. And I love there the future forward question mm -hmm. because I think we're all working so hard in the present that if mm -hmm. we can't actually have a twinkle of imagination of, right. a, of a future we're building together that when when now is hard, it's hard to figure out why am I doing this? But if, I, if, if right. we have this clear vision that we're talking about of a future that we're building together, that's so good. I love, I love those three questions so much. Let's jump in and head down to the boiler room, which is where all the mm. tools are. Um, what are. What are some critical tools you feel like are – our development professionals really need in their in their tool chest? I'm glad you asked that question because there's one that I'm really on fire about. The first one is um, that we need to offer board members an opportunity to talk about their own emotional relationship with money mm. and asking for help mm. because our culture has a messed up relationship with money and yeah. asking. And I think we need to get that out on the table, talk about why is that? Where did our own ideas of money come from when we were very small children? Do those me messages still serve us? Um, like, And understand that all the people that we're asking for money from also have relationships with money. I just think we need to talk about that at the board meeting before we send people out to the wolves. <laughs> because there's a lot of stuff to uncover there. And if we don't address it, it's just going to keep getting pushed down like a balloon in water. It's going to pop mm -hmm. up someplace else. Mm -hmm. So that's one. I think we need to make, make room for conversations about people's relationship with money. The second thing is I think we really need to model what we want our board members to behave like by treating them like donor prospects mm. <laughs> and making sure that they feel seen, that they're engaged, that um, we understand that they have specific connections to the mission and specific gifts to contribute um, and don't ask everyone to do the same thing. 
Yes. And the third thing that I would suggest is that we practice what we want them to do. So I remember um, one meeting I was out where we were asking board members to write a note to donors and they couldn't figure out how to do it. They were all like corporate CEOs and really highly placed people in our community did not know how to write a note. So we literally had to write the content on a three by five card and put it in front of them. And we watched them sort of look at the three by five card, <laughs> then write a sentence, look at the three by five card, write a sentence. We assume that people yeah. know how call someone and ask powerfully for them to join you yeah they don't we think that they know how to um, be a good host at the event they don't and we think that they know how to write kick-ass thank you notes afterwards and they don't (laughs) so we need to make sure that we're practicing the things that we want them to be good at open-ended questions is another one and um make sure that they feel prepared and equipped to be the ambassadors that we need them to be yeah, partner with them on success instead of judging them when they don't hit it. And yes. and and we have expectations for them that they are completely in the dark about. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have put out into the world a gift, and that is mm-hmm. your book, Boards on Fire, which I have referenced so many times. I brought literally like the like new kid at school with my book coming into a board meeting. Like, do you know about this book? It's such an incredible book. I want to make sure folks know about it. So Boards on Fire, Inspiring Leaders to Raise Money Joyfully. It's available at SusanHowlett.com. And that's Susan, S-U-S-A-N, Howlett, H-O-W-L-E-T-T.com. And there's a coupon code that you're offering for our listeners because she's awesome yeah swaim (laughs) s-w-a-i-m coupon code thank you for making that available we appreciate all of your stories and insights we appreciate all of your research and knowledge that you put out into the sector Um, we are so honored to have you here and is there anything you want to make sure folks know as far as how to find your research how to find you anything else you want to make sure folks know in connecting to you Thanks for asking. Um, over the years, I've put a bunch of really good resources on my website, susanhallett.com. So if you go to the Boards on Fire resources tab and then documents, there's a whole bunch of videos and checklists and good examples of things. Um, like one thing that I was thinking about was that I made a list of prospect information to capture so that when board members are talking to donors, they know what kinds of things to listen for and then put on a form. Um, And there are lots of videos about how to engage people before we ask them for money or after they've given us money. So go check SusanHowlett.com, Boards on Fire resources tab, and then documents for a bunch of really cool resources that are free. Great. And we will link to all of that in the show notes. I appreciate that you always center elevating the entire sector. It's something we believe really strongly in that all boats rise. And I believe that you in that same way so generously offers so much resource out into the community. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here. Thank you for changing so much about the sector. And we really appreciate having you as a guest today. I feel elevated. Excellent. (laughs) Fantastic. Thanks for being here. Bye, everyone. The Fundraising Elevator is produced in partnership with Swaim Strategies at the studios of the AV Department. The program is produced by April Clark and directed by Steve Osborne, with audio engineering and original music by Dwayne Anderson and Heidi Christensen. Video production by Chris Peterson, Whitney Gomes, and Nathan Bouquet. Video editing by Steve Osborne. Graphic design by Pendulum Creative Group. And support from Sophia Keller, John Lyles, and Andy Dowsett.